Hello and welcome to The Wound Doctors, a podcast series dedicated to the study and improved treatment of wounds. These episodes are brought to you by Convitec, pioneering trusted medical solutions to improve the lives they touch. Rob Murray's my name and I'm the half of The Wound Doctors team that knows nothing about wounds except, to my credit, how to create them. My co-host, on the other hand, is The Wound Doctor herself, Dr. Fran Henshaw. And Dr. Fran, I know you're excited today because not only do we have a guest in the studio, but that guest is a fellow podiatrist. Tell the listeners who we're speaking with today and what we're planning to speak about, though I feel after our pre-interview discussion that I'm going to derail this conversation pretty quickly. Oh, that's not like you, Rod. <laughs> so, Rod, yeah, of course, I'm always excited when I get to hang out with the podiatrists. And today I am talking to, or we are talking to Jackie Batchelor, who is a very experienced podiatrist who, despite having a long career in podiatry, decided to change tack a little bit and do a PhD. What on earth made you want to do that, Jackie? I still haven't recovered from mine. <laughs> Are you um, mad is the question. Uh, totally and absolutely, <laughs> yes. I, I just like studying. I'm just one of these people that sort of spends my life reading articles off the internet. Um, I, I love little projects and I've done a, a master's degree down at um, Monash and so um, my supervisor, Dr. Ogren, introduced me to implementation science and it just gave me a, made me excited. Wow. And I think when you're going to do a PhD, there's always going to be, I love the way you say little projects. <laughs> I don't think many people would describe a PhD as a little project. Well, but a house um, is a little giving birth. <laughs> monstrous project. But I think it's really important to do it in a field that you absolutely have a passion for mm. because it is one of those very long-winded things that's going to really cause you a lot of pain and grief at some point. <laughs> Hands up who didn't have a fabulous PhD experience. <laughs> Putting a podiatrist in a biochemistry lab, it was never going to end well, was it? Before we go any further, Jackie, I must ask you this question. It's a little bit of a sign. How do you feel about debridement? Fran is hooked on it. She loves it. <laughs> yeah, Are I you see. the same? Are all podiatrists the same? Oh, yes, that's uh, the reason for being. Reason for being. <laughs> Fantastic. What's your PhD about, Jackie, and how does one choose what they're going to do a PhD? Uh, I think probably because I, I did the master's, I was guided into into this. Um, I'm doing it about implementation science. Um, it's mainly about um, what stops us actually, to, instead of talking about evidence-based practice, what makes us actually do it? What stops us for, from doing it? Is that a can of worms I just heard opening, Dr. Fran? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> because I think that, Nowadays, it's accepted that everything we do is embedded in the best possible level of evidence. Now, I have to say, when you're looking at things like wounds, often the best possible level level of evidence is not high level. You know, we don't have the randomized controlled trials, for example, that they might have in cancer. But we do have um, panels of experts. We do have certain papers. And if you put all these together, you can figure out an evidence-based way of approaching a patient. And this is the holy grail because we know that things that are embedded in evidence have got proven better outcomes than just navel gazing and doing what you saw somebody else do 20 years ago. So it's really important. And we all like to um, talk about it. And certainly when I worked at the university, it was the bedrock of how we taught our students. But then what we find is people get out into the big wide world and 
all of that kind of goes out the window. Oh, so, yeah. So your job is to shut the window, I suppose, <laughs> is it, yeah. Jackie? Well, I, I'm sort of, my part of my project is giving them sort of tools for them to, to, to shut the window, to, to make things easier for them to actually use that evidence-based practice. And not just the people at the, at the coalface, but also the policymakers, the managers, and sort of try and just, yeah, make it a lot easier to actually embed evidence-based practice into practice. Let, let's sort of stop actually talking about it and it's let's the, actually do it. It's the practice part where it falls down, actually yeah, doing yeah. it. What have you discovered during this? I, mean, you, you, I think implementation science, I think is what you call yeah, it. It's yeah. a pretty dry way of really saying changing the way people behave. And that might be one of the toughest tasks in the world to, try, to undertake. What have you discovered about why things break down from we know this evidence-based practice is exactly what we need to do mm. on the ward floor in the middle of the night, we're not actually doing it. Yeah, probably the biggest thing I've, uh, the initial findings we found from my first section of the project was the fact that people didn't actually understand what they were doing. That's a um, you've got these yeah, assessment tools and things like that, but they didn't actually really comprehend what it was, what it was and where it went within their clinical practice. The big picture, you mean? Yeah, yeah. it's, it, um, yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I, I know when I used to teach at the university, we would give somebody, a, a student, a form to fill out and they would diligently fill out the form. So, for example, it might be a biomechanical assessment to look at the way someone's walking because their heel hurts. Mm. And then they would fill out and they'd know every angle of everything that was happening while this person was walking. And then you'd say... And what are you going to do for your patient? And they'd say, oh, I'm going to make them orthotics. And you'd say, so how has the uh, assessment that you've done informed this decision? And they've just looked at you blankly. So the two separate things. Yeah. And so I think yeah. that's so. what people do is they do the box ticking exercise and mm. then they go and treat a, a person who's got a, a medical condition. And the two don't necessarily go together very well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the because uh, I'm looking actually at one assessment, a wound assessment tool called right. Wi-Fi. Oh, yeah. oh, I love a David good name. Armstrong. That's a good name. Yeah. Not quite like the Wi-Fi that everybody uses. No. but um, the, More reliable, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Um, but it's, you know, people, it's, it's, again, people use it and they write it into their notes and there it stays. And it's actually such a good tool that it actually will predict um, – in a year's time, whether that person is going to have an amputation, whether they need revascularization, it will, it will classify it. And quite often people didn't quite understand that. They knew there were, there was this tool, but not quite what to do with it. Yes. And this is what happens so often is that people assess somebody's risk of something, write it in their notes and then wait for it to happen. Mm. And if you actually... Oh, look, I was right. <laughs> and But if you actually take that information and do something, you can head them off at the pass. So before we delve deeper, Wi-Fi is something really um, very pivotal to uh, podiatry, certainly in the last mm. few years. But it hasn't trickled down perhaps to all of our listeners. Could you just, in a nutshell, tell us about it? Well, it looks at um, the, the actual wounds, the ha uh, ischemia and infection within the actual wound. And it gives it will classify whether that patient would benefit by um, um, seeing the vascular surgeon sooner rather than later. Um, do th are they at real risk of losing their leg? And yeah, it, it sort of um, 
tells you how urgent this yeah. tri- this so you, you basically score them in four yeah. domains don't you yeah yeah I never, you probably never thought we'd discuss Mike Tyson on this show, Dr. Fran. And I would have agreed with you until now. Mike Tyson said something that's adaptable to lots and lots of industries. Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth, Jackie. My yeah. boss said that to me <laughs> last week when I came to him with a harebrained scheme. It might, it might have been you that reminded me of it. But there's a truth to that, isn't there, Jackie? Particularly in a field like medicine where there's no new conditions that we're talking about. Yeah. These are conditions that have been seen for possibly generations of podiatrists. Mm. When someone presents with that condition and they're sitting in front of you mm. and something needs to be done, you're not reaching for the evidence-based best practice. You, this is what I've always done and it's worked. That's yeah. the punch in the face and you don't change your behaviour at that point, do you? Yeah. Um, oh, I've lost my thought. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But it's that being – in the in the moment, in the situation, that's where theory breaks down from – yeah. From converting to practice, isn't yes, it? Yes, for, for new things. We're really good at creating these classifications. There are so many different classifications for wounds out there. And I, I, I read notes that have, they're beautifully classified in various different ways in Simbad and Wi Fi and um, Texas. And that, you, you know, that's it. Yeah. What, what am Doesn't I going to do? Further, yeah. Nobody really. Yeah, it's got to mean something. It's 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 like a blood test. You don't don't just take a blood test and go, "What? Oh, that's really nice. We've got that amount of um, red blood cells," and sort of leave it at that. We need to sort of be actually using those classifications. And part of my feeling is that yeah, and my project is getting that into practice and helping people, making it easier for people to get that evidence into practice. And have you met with any resistance from people when you've tried to work? <laughs> Here, change. Well, there'll be yeah. no resistance to that, will there, Jackie? <laughs> I must admit it's, it is early days for my project. So, <laughs> But everybody's been uh, – because working in – Part time as well in the hospital, and they're they, they're bored of me sort of going on at, going on about Wi Fi and try and get it into practice. And where it it's sort of, I, I'm trying to be the really nice person at the moment. I don't, I haven't had to be that really nasty. Oh, for goodness sake, just yeah. please get it into into the notes, and we need to actually use. But this. I think people just need a bit of hand holding, don't they? I think that if people can be shown that there's benefit, because I remember working in in the diabetic foot as I did for a number of years. It was consistently disappointing because I, I hope it wasn't just me, but they didn't get very good outcomes. And if you can stop one person getting an ulcer that's catastrophic by classifying them, giving them an early intervention, yeah. that's a very satisfying career that you're going to have, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, wh- why you probably need more than one person okay, yeah. to have a satisfying <laughs> career. But... Set your sides high. <laughs> yeah. two, two, maybe. That's right. <laughs> but it's really nice with, with the Wi-Fi tool in that it, it will sort of say, it gives you some actual numbers to say yes this person actually needs to be referred to the vascular surgeon now and and you can actually back that up and say to the surgeon and we always have a bit of a thing about you know oh the the doctors and what they're going to think of us there's that deep down um i don't know if i'm it's me being old school but it's just like oh doctors are wonderful and but now we've got this wi-fi that's that's uh, it's got a score. You need to see this patient now. You've got something concrete to go, with, to go with, with them to 
you've got something concrete to go to them with, which is much better than I've got an inkling or a feeling. So, and also the good thing about Wi-Fi is that you can do it fairly easily, can't you? It's like you don't need to have state of the art equipment to, to get this ballpark of where somebody's risk of having a catastrophic ulcer is. Yeah. And if, if you're really lucky and have, and do actually have Wi-Fi, the, there is an app for it as well. Oh, we love an app here. Yes. We think the mobile phone's crucial to the future of medicine. Well, yeah. One of us does anyway. So that, that, that's also <laughs> a good selling point. Yeah, indeed. Jack, I'm going to ask this question to both of you. I'm going to ask Jackie first. And I'm just going to say before we start, Fran, this will never actually happen for you, we know. But if I was to make you the czar of medicine, Jackie, for okay. a day, how would you fix some of these issues? you had the power to just make the sweeping changes that needed so that tomorrow the systems that were implemented were proper, how would you go about that? What would they be? It's a big question. And you'll you understand why I wouldn't let Fran be the czar because there'll be all sorts of stuff. People will be having Tim Tams and Freno frogs in the beds. That won't be any good. But do you know what I'm saying? What's the the medical system? It's huge, isn't it? Yes. It's yeah. it's a massive thing. Yeah. And of course, it's impossible to fix. But what do you see that you just think that is a no brainer? That's got to change. What do you see? What I I would without getting yourself in trouble. Um, I would <laughs> make it mandatory. That there's a multidisciplinary team for every um, aspect. And what does that mean for a layperson like me? Uh, it means that yeah, you're going to have a variety of allied health professionals. You're going to have doctors talking to to every, everybody. You're going to have nursing, and you meet regularly and you talk all on the same level. Right. And it's it's about making sure that patient is is getting the best care possible. So because each. It's like a hairball, each string you pull over here has an unintended consequence over there, mm. doesn't it? So the two people in charge of those two pieces of string really need to be yeah. talking yeah. about what's going on. I mean, it's it's a little bit like having uh, and having a sort of like a chariot of horses. You really want to be all pulling in the right direction. the right direction, um, and occasionally, yeah. dare I say it, the, the doctors will want to go in another direction, um, and you know, and you just want. Everybody, I think the biggest thing for me is communication. Mm-hmm. If we all listen to each other, life would be so much easier. Yeah. If everyone made a bit more of an effort to be a bit more like me, I'd find it much easier to get on <laughs> in the world. Dr. Fran, if I made you Zafriday, which clearly we know we won't, what, what do you think about what Jackie oh, I've got loads about? of stuff to say on this. <laughs> but I think one of the things in Australia in particular is the funding models are quite perverse in some situations mm. and, you know, that prevents people from getting the right care because there's the, the funding mechanisms are not right. So I think that's something that needs looking at. And, you know, we look at something like telehealth, for example, that was available before COVID. Mm-hmm. But the only thing that got it off the ground was when they quickly had to change the funding model to enable people to access it. So we know that we can actually move these things. I think the other thing is about personalised care. I think we can do a lot of personalised monitoring using mobile phone mobile apps phones, and, yeah. you know, there's loads of stuff out there. And I think when we have that, we can actually decentralise healthcare because we've got all these people, you know, we're right near Royal North Shore Hospital in Sydney here. Nine o'clock tomorrow morning, you won't even be able to get in the car park and half these people are going to get 
a foot ulcer looked at or an eye looked at, well, they don't really need to be Hmm. in a big tertiary hospital. They're there because the people they need to see are there and sometimes the facilities they need are there. But I think that there's going to be this whole decentralisation and that's going to make it easier for people to access healthcare. So I think healthcare is going to be about people and not about place and I think that will really help. I remember when my dad went into a nursing home, it struck me fairly quickly that the nursing home structure seemed set up for the nursing home business, not for the the people they were caring for necessarily. That's a, I'm probably putting that a bit too strongly, but I feel like maybe what Fran's outlined there, Jackie, is a similar thing in medicine. Things yeah. are set up for the convenience and the most efficiency of the medical staff, not necessarily the patient. Yeah, and I think you you mentioned the nursing homes as well. We, um, there's, you know, they they talk about sort of looking after the uh, the person in the nursing home, but if they have a foot ulcer. It is so difficult to get that care that they need. It, it's just, it, it, they're, it's, they're almost ring fence. And sorry, you've got to, you know, you're <laughs> not worth, almost not worth dealing with because you're, you know, you're on the you're way out. And, um, yeah. yeah, oh, if we have to actually treat you, then yeah, we'll, we'll sort of, bring you over and it's very very difficult because I've recently just done a reference case in aged care and it was a massive eye-opener and I think you know the the way that the health system treats somebody who's in an aged care facility Mm. is that that place is full of RNs it's got GPs that visit therefore look after everything's which in theory is great until nobody actually has the expertise to look after them Um, because a lot of the um, RNs for example don't have wound experience and you know they these people in aged care have got very complex needs. You can't have everybody across everything. So it is very difficult because they are in a place that is supposed to provide their medical care, but you can't necessarily guarantee that no. they've got the skill set. We, of course, have had several scandals involving aged care in Australia mm. over decades, but nothing seems to change. And I wonder whether broadly, the problem is more broad in that it's cultural mm. as a species or as a society, we're quite happy to just tuck our old people away where we can't see them and not really worry about it. You couldn't get away with that yeah. in a maternity ward. Mm. Look, yes, that sense? that's right. Yes. If, if you want, I've, Always remember somebody saying if if they want to close something down in a hospital, they close down the the children's ward. They don't ch- close down the the geriatric ward because nobody is that interested. You know, they're yeah they've done their bit. You know, they'll be fine. We'll get round it somehow. But if you close down a ch- threaten to close down a children's ward, then it's all oh, hell will break loose. Oh, yeah. Gosh, yes, okay. yeah. Which is, I think, which is really, really sad. We should be looking after our old folk and making their quality of life as as good as possible. And I think sort of funding is a real is is a real issue, and how that's sort of yeah. That model of care. But I, th- I think the other thing in aged care is that implementation science would have a great place there, wouldn't mm. it? Because lots of frameworks, guidelines, protocols exist, mm. but people are almost like spoilt for choice. So they just 
pick do the guideline the, that suits me to do the least amount well, of work Well, they, they pick no the, guideline and just do what the last person did is, is kind of a lot of the observations that I've found. And so I think that, you know, if we can give people these tools and these frameworks mm. that you're developing as part of your PhD in the public hospital system, they really would be transferable to probably improving outcomes in a lot of other places. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, that's the idea. You've got the you've got these theories and you, you, you want to make it as simple as possible. And, you know, that's you've got a simple framework and it's transferable and you know, it makes change so much easier for people. But of course, the resistance, and I think we've all been in this position, haven't we? When somebody comes into a place we've been working at for some time, says we're going to change the way we do it, your immediate response is why? It's working. We've been doing this way for 20 years. You've been here five minutes. What would you know? That Imagine there's a bit of that. How do, we, how do you get it beyond that? How do you show people that it's not making – because the fear for all of us is going to make our own life more difficult. I used to be a journo, and now this AI has journos terrified. There's a machine that can just tell you about the car accident that happened at Ornsby last night. Yeah. Didn't used to be able to. I'm going to, I'm going to resist that if I'm a journo to the end of my days. How do we get past that or across that? I think a lot of implementation science is getting people to understand. Mm. Um, if you get them to understand why you're changing and what the change is and and – Make that change easier, and that's where the the, the theories can help. You know, look, it's going to be easier to close that window if if you use the handle, and you know, to make it really simplistic. Yeah. Um, if you and also sort of having certain ways that people can different ways of um, implementing change. Um, like, is it going to be easier if you see a little video about it? This is how you yeah. close the window. Or do you want a little cheat sheet? This is how you close the window. A it's podcast, perhaps. It, indeed, a podcast. podcast. <laughs> Sorry. No, I would say that, wouldn't I? No, no, <laughs> no, no, no absolutely no. right. Absolutely right. Part of making change easier, Fran, isn't convincing the person that's got to go through the change that's actually going to benefit them in some way, make their life easier or more efficient or better. Yeah, I mean – that's the biggest challenge, isn't it? Because we are creatures of habit and it's very much easier to live in your familiar territory. And I think that that is why implementation science is a whole sciences, whole faculties at universities that are dedicated to it. And I think that you've got to really know how to take people on this journey. And that's why I feel that, you know, wound, the wound profession is really, um, lucky to have someone like Jackie who is not just you know someone who's walked out of high school going oh I fancy being an implementation science scientist she's actually deeply entrenched in the sector and has a deep understanding of this problem that she's identified and when you've got a clear understanding of a problem you've probably got a lot more chance of solving it we might say Jackie was driven to implementation science by being in the industry for all this time perhaps in some ways Jackie yeah look I I hate change as much as the best of them it's but you know there are ways we can make it a little less onerous and a little bit more pleasant and sort of trying to get everybody on board. And then there are, there's research to say that, um, it takes 17 years for evidence to actually get into day to day oh, practice. I haven't got time for that. <laughs> so we, we're having these guidelines coming out every three or four years. Right. We, we'll be dealing with this, um, the last guidelines in- still in, 13 years yeah. time. Yeah. Well, I hope your PhD doesn't take <laughs> <laughs> How long do you reckon it'll take you? Uh, look, I'd, 
I I really liked it. Oh, it's, it's difficult, really. You can feel the pain from here, yes, Fran. I'd love to do it, to devote my whole time to, to doing it. It's just having to work um, working part-time and actually studying. It's very difficult. Sort of, I'm torn between the two. Yeah. And it's funny, I, I did my PhD part-time um, mm. whilst I was working. And I didn't really realise at the time, and it was only subsequently when I worked as an academic, that um, a lot that universities get funded on PhD completions. Mm. So I I have a lot of people that come up to me and say, oh, I really fancy doing a, a PhD that's part-time while I work and, you know, I'll just take my time. And I was like, well, that might su- suit your time frame. It actually doesn't suit the time frame of a lot of academics who will be yeah. told yeah. you need to complete this, this student. So, I mean, obviously someone has seen something in you that they're prepared to take this slower boat to China and that's great. But I wouldn't say it's necessarily a normal thing. No, I, I mean, I must, I must admit it's been, I've been quite fortunate in that, uh, my, my supervisor, Dr. Sarkis is, his, um, background is physio and it's, he, and he started his PhD on a part-time basis. So he's got some sort of, uh, you know, uh, looking as to what it's like and understanding. Do, and understanding. Yeah. So that's really helpful. But, you know, the more you get into it, the more, I think the more driven and more passionate you get about your whole subject. And it's, until right near the end. Yeah. <laughs> and then you never want yeah. to hear about it again. <laughs> Indeed. Please, please don't tell me that. <laughs> what do they say? A PhD isn't something you fe- finish, it's something you abandon. <laughs> and I wholeheartedly agree with that. <laughs> Jackie, what's the future, do you think, if you had to predict? Is it optimistic? Is it bleak oh. in terms of change and implementation science? I, I think implementation science is – it's it's so, – it's in its early days. It is, um, brand new and it's sort of the way forward. Um, there's so much that can be done and there's so many different aspects of medicine it can touch. Um, it, it can look at, you know, just what I'm looking at or it look at, look at the digital side of things. I mean, it can look at absolutely everything. So, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be big. Yeah. Is it a journey and not a destination, perhaps, Fran? We're never going to get to <laughs> yeah. implementation science complete. To borrow a line from Bijan Jaffe, who was a guest of ours last year, who borrowed it from Bill Gates, we <laughs> always overestimate the change that will happen in the next two, two years yeah. and underestimate yeah. the change that will happen in the next 10 years. And I think that that is absolutely true. I, I, you know, as a bit of an amateur looker aheader, think that health, we will not recognise it in 10 years' time. It will be so fundamentally different to what it is today. And I think that people like um, Jackie are absolutely essential to helping that transition. To take getting us there. Place. What do you reckon, Jackie? Is Fran right about that? In 10 years' time, it'll be unrecognisable to what we see today? I, I think so, yeah. Is it unrecognisable today to what the medical system looked like 10 years ago? I'm not sure that's the case, is it? No. I think oh. I think we're about to hit this phase where it's just going to be It's a perfect storm, isn't it, of yeah. technology, a yeah. really a, a genuinely changing society because of that technology. There is a yeah. generation of people coming who have never known a world without the mobile phone. Yeah. I, I think COVID as well has made such a difference to everything. It's Absolutely. accelerated a bunch of things. Mm, yeah, it? it's mm. put fuel on the fire. Uh, and yeah. some of them haven't gone back. Some mm. have, but some yeah. haven't gone back. And it's yeah. Like, mm. I, I and mean, people want to look forward. 
Um, people feel I think I feel as if people as if they have to look forward Mm. we've done we've done all that we need to we need to move forward broadly it's a tumultuous period in history at the moment isn't it Mm. we feel closer to war than we have been for a very long time and generationally none of us is really prepared for that there's a there's a real electricity or edge to the world it feels at the moment we're looking at the stable places in the world that we used to look to the UK and America you can see a lot of instability COVID Mm. thrown in on top of that there's a lot going on and if you look back historically, World War One, World War Two, the huge shifts and changes in the wake of those, yeah. the way society changed, we're kind of seeing bits of that, it feels like. I, I think as well, everything's so global and yeah. that things, you know, if, if like- You couldn't watch World War Two on television. No. From Australia. No. Yeah, <laughs> you, thank you God. Can, you can now on the train mm. in yeah. Australia on your phone it, live. It's absolutely incredible. And, you know, there's like the earthquake- mm. That so tragically happened the other day. And we've, you know, there are pictures sort of been to us in our front rooms and it, it's just incredible. Yeah. You used to imagine the tragedy, now you yeah, now can witness it, it, can't you? Yeah. yeah. Of course, medicine doesn't live in a bubble either, does it, Fran? Medicine and the, the medical complex is made up of people and people bring all sorts of attitudes and cultural backgrounds and those sorts of things. And as generations change, those basic cultures and things within medicine will change too, won't they? Absolutely. And um, I was talking to somebody the other week and and they use this phrase which I thought was a bit offensive and then I realized it probably wasn't that people are dumb consumers of healthcare mm. and if you think about it when you go to a doctor to ask about having a knee replacement you probably ask more questions when you go to the shop to buy a new TV, don't you? And I think that that's going to change. I think people will want to know, where did it come from? What's it made of? What are my alternatives? And I think this will really shift the way that health is delivered because I think the consumers will be much, much more more smart. Businesses are always driven by demand, not supply, aren't they? Mm -hmm. And if the medical field has always been a supply driven, if you're a doctor, you hold the power in that relationship. You always will, but I think the consumer is going to demand more for their money than what Absolutely. they traditionally have. This has been quite a philosophical podcast. Well, and it's actually been one of my favourites. But, but isn't that important, Fran? When you break it all down, Convertech is a wound dressing company. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, <laughs> I worked for yes, them. That's right. <laughs> Dealing with wounds. But wounds are part of something bigger and all of these things plug into it. And you've said it yourself many times, some of the things that you see over the years of why can't we get anywhere with making this this wound care better or that wound care better. It requires so many things, not just a textbook that says, we found this, ergo that. Because mm. you're dealing with people. And that's the theme that keeps coming up here, I think, on this podcast. You're dealing with people and that messes everything up. And people who are not what they used to be, where the doctor said this and that's what happened. We don't have that anymore. So it is philosophical because it's about, you know, change. The world really is changing mm, and sort absolutely. of rapidly. So fantastic. Jackie, it's been fantastic to have you. I reckon we could talk for hours and probably never get around to chatting about your PhD, but let's not do that. Good luck with it. It's Thank a you. Big task to take on, as friends now <laughs> terrified yeah. you by explaining yeah. in depth. Oh, just God, no. it <laughs> we look forward to uh, to when it ends. We might get you back when you've finished it. Okay, in about ten years' time. In ten years' time, when she's recovered her mental health, we get her back in. The studio won't look anything like this in ten years, Fran. We can see. We think we see what it's like in two years. Thank you, Doctor Fran. Been great to have you along as well. Thanks, Rod. Thank you. And that's it for the Wound Doctors. We'll be back next time. 